Hello, and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people who have overcome real challenges and are making our world better because of it. They have taken life's lemons and are making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Jana. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I'm looking forward to getting to know you, and I can't wait to hear your story, too. So start out by telling me just a couple of little things about yourself. Well, I think the most important thing is that I just turned 40 and I feel like I'm entering a new stage of life. I mean, I feel different. I've gained some weight. My hormones seem to be changing, but I've decided to do cold water swimming as a result. I've decided to stop things that I don't enjoy. I just feel like it's good. I think being 40 is good. I have two daughters, they're teens, and that's also a kind of fun stage of life to be in right now. I live on Vancouver Island, so I love to go in the woods and get into the ocean and the lakes and just all things nature. Mm, I love that. I just turned 50 this year, so I'm ahead of you a bit, but 40s are fabulous. I love the 40s. The kids are older, like you said, and you're just like starting to finally have time to do some things you want to do. And Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Embrace it. Just love it. You get older and it's a beautiful thing. So awesome. Well, happy late birthday, but glad you're here. So you got to take me back and tell me your lemon to lemonade story. What happened and what are you doing now? All right. How far back should we go? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, let's start right before I got married. So I got married really young. I always like to add a disclaimer. I wasn't pregnant and I wasn't forced into it. There was no culty practices happening. Uh, but I always How young? Be, yeah, 17. Okay. I was 18 and most people <laughs> no can't way. beat that. So wow. okay, so young. We, okay. You probably share a common understanding of what it's like. You know, you yeah. grow up together essentially. And I'm not pro or against young marriage. Me too. Um, I, you know, there were great things and things that were really tough. We tried to wait and to have sex until we were married and, uh, we almost got there, (laughs) but, but what I think that meant, maybe I'm not sure it's hard to know the correlation, but anyways, that aside, what ended up happening is I just was not educated enough about sexuality, about what good sex should be like. i I really didn't know how to communicate about it. Sex was the last thing I thought we were going to fight about. And we got in a relationship. We got married. Pretty quickly, I started to dread sex. I wasn't enjoying it. I felt broken. I felt alone. And that started us off on a very long journey of trying to figure out what the heck was happening with her sex life? You know, he would feel not important and rejected. And again, I would feel like, what's wrong with me? How do I fix this? We went to counselors and I read books and went to workshops and all along really thinking that this was my problem to fix, that I was the one with low libido, a low sex drive, however you want to diagnose it. And everyone seemed to go along with that plot, in, including my husband and including the professionals that we saw. Oh, that's got to be so discouraging because you do. You feel like it's all your fault. What's wrong with me? I'm the only person in the universe that doesn't enjoy this. And I'm broken. 
So how do you navigate that? What did you do? So the first 10 years of our relationship look like this. I did finally around the 10 year mark, just say to my husband, look, I really love you. This is not a representation of my love or how much I want to be with you or how much I want you and all of these things he was pretty certain of, but I can no longer have sex if I don't want to. And the truth is, I don't know when that's going to happen. So far, everything I've tried hasn't worked. You know, the short term, the advice to spice things up or wear lingerie, have a glass of wine. I don't drink, but that would have definitely been the advice if I had to just do it. I heard that lots. It's good for your marriage. Power through. Make sure you're having a good orgasm. Apparently that makes you want to have sex, but it doesn't correlate. And um, so, yeah, I, I wrote up a script because I was really scared of my husband's reaction. And I would say we were in a really great relationship other than this. We, we had fun together. At that point, we had children. We had two kids together. They're 15 months apart. So that was a super fun experience. That was a little sarcasm. If you didn't pick up on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I just, I reached a point where I just said, look, look, I can't do this anymore. I can see that it's doing me harm and it's doing me damage. So we had a period of time where we kind of navigated that. We definitely went long periods of time without having sex. Uh, he struggled with a lot of hopelessness, I would say. Uh, but, you know, we, we worked through it along the way because we had seen so many professionals for our relationship. I actually became a marriage coach. I, I trained and started to work with couples and it was, and still hadn't figured out the sex thing. Uh, I certainly was extremely well educated at that point, but no one, no one could tell me what to do. I couldn't find it. I read all the books, I promise you. <laughs> and then around the 15 year married mark, I found out that he had a porn addiction and Suddenly, so much made sense. His sort of obsessive nature around sex and orgasm, the way he would pressure me into doing things when I really wasn't into it, the very strong link he had made between love and sex, um, really exhibiting signs of anxious attachment, which now I know can be connected to addiction. And that was the moment that honestly I needed to say enough is a freaking enough. And I'm going to lean into my intuition, put aside some of the more traditional advice that I'd been given through personal experience and also through my training and lean into what I know to be true because I had known something was off all those years but because no one had asked him the question and he had never offered it, I had really detached myself from my inner knowing. And so that was the moment I, I needed, as painful and horrific as it was, to then move on to sort of the second stage, which is how I developed the, the framework that I teach other women now. I went on a investigative journey 
I wasn't trying to fix myself anymore. I was done with that because I'd had clear evidence that I wasn't the only one participating in this scenario up until this point, even though he hadn't offered that piece of the puzzle. So I just started to, to, to get curious about what is it that I'm feeling and what is happening around me that is affecting what I'm feeling in my body. And I'd had this situation where at one point I was experimenting and he was laying on the bed and I said, pretend you're asleep, close your eyes, put your hands by your side and really pretend you're asleep. Don't comment, don't grab me, don't look at me. And it was, and then I sort of climbed on his body and, and I was kind of exploring the sensations in my hand and what it felt like to put my hands on his chest and to stroke his cheek and to hold his hand and what it felt like. And for the first time in my life, I felt the pleasure genuinely being cultivated in my body. I mean, I had had orgasms before, but it usually was very, pre it was under a pressure cooker, you know, get the vibrator out. Let's just see how quickly I can get it happening. And usually it was connected to my husband wanting to feel good about himself. This was the first time that I felt empowered. And unfortunately, I told a therapist I was seeing at the time about this experience, and she started to pathologize it to wonder what was wrong with me that, you know, what trauma had I experienced that that was a enjoyable thing for me. She never said, Hey, this is probably a clue. We're probably headed in the right direction here. Let's lean into this more. So when I discovered that I hadn't known all the information, I thought back to that time and I realized I was feeling safe. I was feeling safe in that moment. I wasn't worried about what he was going to do next or that I was going to feel pressured to escalate things. I could just feel good. <laughs> what a radical thing in my body. And so I said, screw you. All the people have told me that that is unnatural. And I'm going to lean into this 100% and fully. So I started to initiate all physical touch in our relationship. I asked him not to comment on my body. Don't touch my body without my enthusiastic asking for it. And if I did touch him, I asked him not to try to escalate things. So if we're in the kitchen, for example, and I come in for a hug, I don't want him to grind his groin into my hip. I don't want that. Just keep your hands relaxed, enjoy the sensations, and you'll probably get way more touch. And that is what happened. And that's what we continue to do. Uh, we've been married for 23 years now. So that just opened up a whole new world to me. Then I started to explore pleasure, not pleasure that had pressure behind it and not pleasure that had been narrowly defined by the media sex formula, which is, I mean, we all know, right? The sexually acceptable pleasure. No, I'm talking about, I have five, five senses. My five senses can feel slightly more positive than neutral because I'm not adding any pressure to this pleasure. 
and I started to explore them. So I actually did a 30 day pleasure challenge for myself. And one of my daughters joined me at the time. And we just explored what it, what it felt like to explore positive, you know, slightly more positive than neutral experiences in our bodies. We went for walks and looked at the leaves. We ran our, our hands under warm water. We experimented with different sensations under our feet. You know, did we like grass? Did we like pebbles? Did we like the carpet? We, we explored, um, you know, fuzzy blankets. And I think we had a hamster at the time, like what that felt like to cuddle our hamster in our hands. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. So I realized that first, as women, we are in a desperate pleasure deficit. It's horrific. And it's because of culture. Culture has taught us that we need to be productive. We need to be productive with our orgasms too. <laughs> we need to be productive with everything. So I just let feelings be in my body. So that was another piece. So we, we had the safety piece. We have the, the pleasure piece. The intuition piece was a really big deal. Not trying to go for some formulaic foreplay, groping. Oh, forget it. What does it look like if I go into a sexual experience and trust my intuition? And what I discovered is I'm actually a really sensual, sexual being when I'm in the right conditions. And um, this obsession in our culture around arousal, forget it. Just forget it. Another piece that I had to look at was compassion because it was so easy for me to vilify my husband. And also it was so easy for me to feel a lot of shame at what I had allowed to happen to my body. So I, I had to look at culture and I had to look at all the ways from childhood to present day how I had been conditioned to think and feel and understand uh, things about sex and about my body and about consent and about safety and about just even normal, normal sexual functioning things that I should have been taught way earlier, way earlier. So looking at culture helped take the focus off of my husband and myself and it took the and it took the blame off of us and it really directed it towards culture and what that helped us do is to become a team mm -hmm. that it was we were deprogramming ourselves from what into our ancestors right yeah. i mean it's never it's never been a, a time where women had full autonomy over their bodies it's just kind of a new thing and and still I have to work really hard with the the folks I work with to help them see this, especially men. So we have the the safety piece, intuition, pleasure, compassion, and then I wanted to put it all together into some regular experience that I could have with my partner. I was tired of the initiation dance, like who's going to initiate, who's going to feel rejected, 
I don't want to be thinking, oh, it's been, you know, months or weeks. I don't want to feel the guilt. I'm done. I I don't want my husband to look at me with those puppy dog eyes and me to feel all that dread and frustration that I'm going to say no again. I just didn't want to say no again, ever. I, I was done. So taking a cue from the book, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. It's a great book. She taught me about responsive versus spontaneous desire. And so I learned that I had responsive desire, which made a lot of sense. A lot of women that I, most women I, I serve do. That means that within a container of, of safety, I would call it safety, but some people would call it comfort and a place that had no goals, a container of, you know, where I could explore my pleasure where if I didn't like something, no big deal, we just won't do it. So we did that weekly, I set it up, I call it an exploration date. It's a couple of times, a couple of hours, because you know, it's nice to talk and maybe have a shower and brush your teeth and have some food. And you know, there's things, there's sort of practical things that need to happen. Um, So we do that every, every week, we have an exploration date. And um, yeah, it's been it's been such a blessing in our relationship because life is hard and it is really nice to shut out the world a little bit for a little bit and, and remember why you're married. Um, we live busy lives and it's just nice to reconnect and, you know, say some sweet things together, explore some, some pleasurable sensations, feel a little bit more connected. And it really is sort of an intimacy heartbeat in our relationship. And what a happy ending. Like, I really thought this was going to go another way. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear that you stuck with it. You kept persevering, you kept figuring it out and you stayed together. You stayed, you bonded closer. You are so much closer now than you've ever been. So what is your lemonade? What are you doing now to help others? Yeah, for the last seven years, I have been running my program called Wanting It More. Yes, it sex. And yeah, that, that has been, it's been a joy. I mean, I've worked with thousands of women now. um, And while each person is unique and has their unique story, there are some really strong themes. And um, what I get to do is almost understand how I call them paths, you know, those things I've just been sort of outlining um, there's six of them. And I get to see through their experiences even more subtle, nuanced reasons for them being there. Um, and it's a it's a beautiful thing to see women gathering together and and the me too's and I I thought it was just me and I oh my gosh like I thought for you know for thirty years I thought I was alone I thought everyone was having this great sex life I can't I can't believe you're here wow and then for those realizations if it's so many of us there must be something greater happening I don't you know this can't be an individual problem or failing. Right. And that's when we get a look at the cultural pieces and how we've all been impacted. Wow. Yeah, you really do. You get, you get taught by the world how it's supposed to be. And so if you don't match that, then something's wrong. You're not normal. Mm -hmm. And the, and what's really happening is the story that we're being fed is one way and it's not the truth. I mean, 
just watch a sex scene on TV and immediately, immediately no. Like immediately yeah. that doesn't work for women, but we right. all feel broken because it doesn't. Wow. It's a good thing you're there to talk to people and talk them off the ledge and help them know they're normal. Yeah. I mean, if if I had one refrain, it would be, you're normal, you're not broken. You're not alone. Yeah. A lot of people will make offhanded comments and remarks about sex. You know, you hear that, like I had a coworker once who said, oh, everyone needs a little sex a day. And I was like, first off, what's a little sex? Like, I don't even know what that means. And also every day, I mean, I wasn't having sex for months. You know, we went two periods of a year each. And who do you say, who do you tell that to? Who do you, who do you open up to? And then, and then to go to professionals and have being told, be told that you're really the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So and read this book and you'll be better. And yeah. 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 Simple. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Simple. And that's powerful for people to know they're not broken. Yeah. I'm just love that you're out here teaching this because I don't think people know that it's okay to not be okay. That's okay to not feel normal. That's normal. Yeah. And it is more normal to feel this way than normal. I mean, I, (laughs) my own estimates, and this isn't people say, where do you get these statistics from? I'm like, you know, I just, I look at research and I, I just also look at my own path the last seven years and how many, I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands have taken my free class and I serve heterosexual couples. So that is my specialty because we do talk so much about gender in this dynamic. My estimates are, I think about 50% of women who are married to men, at least um, are experiencing this, if not higher. Yeah. It's a huge percentage. Yeah. That's huge. That means you could feel safe maybe talking to your friend and telling her how you feel and she could possibly relate. Oh, yeah. I mean, most people don't, right? Yeah, it's no, because so they like, think that they're the broken ones. No, right? Yeah. Like like sex is a shame topic in our culture just as an umbrella. But then what's the almost the most shameful thing you can have is low libido or like a low sex drive. That, no, you don't want to admit that. And so no, people are not talking to their friends. And yeah. even when they are, it's in the form of a joke. Right. They're like, oh, he wants it again tonight. I roll. So we can joke about it. And there's sort of a trope, you know, in our culture around, oh, you get married and then things go downhill. Wah, wah, wah. You know, I think that's connected to our really disdain for marriage in our culture right now as well. But yeah, people are not, the women I'm talking to, they're not really talking to their friends. They're not talking to their moms. They're not talking about their sisters. But after their eyes are opened and they see, oh my gosh, this is a much bigger issue, not a personal issue, but a societal issue, then they feel like they want to start talking about it. Um, Then they start to talk, thank goodness, to their children a bit more and and reach out a little bit bit to their friends. But but it's still hard to do. Yeah, especially because my program is called Wanting It More. I really need to change the title. Because, well, it, like, no. you know, it, it's very relatable. And it's like, yeah, that's what I want. Um, telling a friend that I took a program called Wanting It More is a hard thing to do. <laughs> Finding the right words when it comes to sex is a near impossible task. Oh, so. I bet. Yeah. 
And it's like you fell into this. This was not something you were ever planning on being a professional oh, are ad. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. The first time we went to a counselor, we were about five years in. And I got married when I was 17. So it's still pretty young to go to a counselor. And it was so awkward. Yeah. I mean, we were in this little tiny room, almost knee to knee with this guy who was asking me about masturbation. I yeah, you're like, like get no. me out of here. Oh. So no, I am not someone who comes to this work loving talking about sex, but I am here because I don't want women to suffer like I did. And I think what I have to share is not out there um, very much right now. And um you know, women are allowed to feel comfortable, I would say 70%. That's what I what I'm sort of but there's always like, well, then you need to negotiate. And you need to take care of his needs. And men need sex and you don't want to deprive him. But of course, it's important for you to feel comfortable. But I'm like, forget it. No, let's go for 100%. Because we all deserve that, men and women alike. Mm. Oh my goodness. So well said. Thank you. Wow. I hope this really gives people some food for thought and a way to kind of check in and see where they're at and get the help and know that they're okay. So I thank you. So You're welcome. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. Most women will say around this time, Jana, my list of things I hate is yeah. massive. So long. And yeah. I have nothing in the category in the of things like I like. Category. Yeah. What what has happened, I believe, and, and asexuality is a form of sexuality. And I'm like, great, awesome. Let's just explore this. And then you can, you know, like, like it's not going to hurt you to explore mm -hmm. this. It's because we don't like what we're being offered. We have no other alternative. And yet I now have a really, really satisfying, fulfilling sex life because wow. we got to do it differently. Mm. We got to do it so radically differently Yeah, and we got to lose the formulas. I find myself doing things that I would have said, that's disgusting. I'll never do that. I hate it. But in a different context with empowerment and safety and understanding of pleasure, mm. look at what I'm doing. Wow. Those men who are going to, hmm. what about my needs? That's what they like to say at this stage. I'm like, well, let's well, discuss this. Like, is it really for your wife, for you to be able to touch her breasts? Is that really a need of yours? I have needs too. We're married. They want connection. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're dying. They're desperate, but they are looking at it for, you know, wrong looking for it in place. the wrong places. Yeah. Yeah. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.